This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Bob Comps again for Libby's Nimer. Not only are mom and dad helping the children buy their first place, many are also chipping in for rent. This does not surprise a lot of the experts, including the one you'll be hearing from shortly. And as we come up on the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, our own Robbie Lane looks back on the festival and its impact on music, including his band, The Disciples. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Some of us live much longer than others, thanks to good genes. Now, Italian researchers have found this genetic gift could be replicated. The study looked specifically at the longevity gene in those over 100. Rats inserted with this special genetic coding showed a rejuvenation of the cardiovascular system. The lead researcher cautions more investigations will be needed before the protein is administered to patients. There's evidence of a connection between hearing loss and dementia. Researchers over in Taiwan compared more than 8,100 patients with newly diagnosed hearing loss with the same number without hearing loss over a 13-year period. They found that almost a quarter of them developed dementia. Hearing loss between the ages of 45 and 64 was associated with more than two times increased risk compared with those with hearing loss after age 64. Rosie Ruiz, whose name became synonymous with cheating when she lost the 1980 Boston Marathon title after officials determined she had sneaked into the course not far from the finish line, has died of cancer. She was 66. Ruiz stunned the running world by crossing in 2 hours, 31 minutes, 56 seconds. Suspicions arose almost right away. Spotters had not seen her at checkpoints along the course, And afterward, Ruiz said she had run just one other marathon, New York, in 1979, and her time was 2.56.33. But that story quickly came apart. As a photographer said, she'd been on the subway with Ruiz during that marathon and that Ruiz had told her she had dropped out with an injured ankle. Henri Belolo, who co-founded Village People and co-wrote their classic hits YMCA, Macho Man, and In the Navy, has died. He was 82. Belolo was born in Casablanca, Morocco in 1936. With Jacques Morley and lead singer Victor Willis, Belolo founded the six-member Village People. The group's self-titled debut album was released in 1977. The group released two albums the following year, Macho Man and Cruisin', which featured the international hit YMCA, co-written by Belolo. It peaked at number two on the Billboard chart. In 1979, Village People released the album Go West, which included In the Navy, another song co-written by Belolo that peaked at number three on the chart. 
Hundreds of fans of the Fab Four gathered outside the Abbey Road Studios in London to recreate the famous cover for Abbey Road on the 50th anniversary. The album cover was shot. Back on August 8, 1969, photographer Ian McMillan snapped six shots of John, Paul, George, and Ringo striding single file across the street while police officers stopped traffic. Paul then chose one for the cover. Fifty years later, fans snapped photos on cell phones while lookalikes from a Beatles cover band crossed the street in tribute. Beatles tour guide Richard Porter says about 300,000 come every year to have their pictures taken at that famous crossing. I'm Bob Comsican for Libby's Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Parents are not only helping their kids buy their first home, more than one in three say they're also chipping in for rent. That's according to a recent poll that followed another study on housing affordability, which found nearly half of parents plan on helping their children buy a place while one in four already had. None of this shocks Steve Ranson, president and CEO of Home Equity Bank and the CHIP reverse mortgage. I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, h- housing is expensive, and I think a lot of people, you know, y- y- there's the expense of actually buying the house, and then people kind of forget, you know, how much money you got to spend actually maintaining the house. So whether it's, you know, home maintenance or helping people with rent, um, none of that surprises me. Ever since the boom, have we seen parents helping their kids out even more? So I would say... You know, if, if you if you went back five years, this is when we kind of first noticed it, when houses really started to take off in Toronto and Vancouver. Suddenly, people were coming to us and saying, you know, I want to get a reverse mortgage. I want to take that money. I want to give it to my kids for a down payment. And there's been basically no let up. And in the last two years, uh, the federal government's made it harder for younger people to qualify for conventional credit. There's some studies out there that suggest 15 to 20% of first-time homebuyers can no longer afford to get a mortgage based on these new rules. And so the way that they can afford is for their parents to give them a big chunk of money to help them with that down payment. So we've seen basically no let up in a trend we first observed five years ago and and just as strong. And, and, you know, the housing market in Toronto in the last two years, yeah, we've had a bit of a lull. It's still going up three to 5% per annum. Someone listening finds themselves in that position with uh, an adult a child or children where or grandchildren sometimes or even grandchildren and they're thinking about oh how can i do this there are some myths maybe concerning uh you know the uh chip mortgages can we dispel some of those in case someone listening is saying i don't know if that really works so explain that for them to put them at ease so two that are really important to think about in, you know, in the context of helping your kids. One is, when you get a reverse mortgage from us, you still own your home. So you're not giving up the upside. You have complete control over, you know, your decision and what you do. And so, you know, people worry, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm getting out of the housing market and now my kids are getting into it. No, you're still in the housing market. You still have control of that house and all that appreciation is going to come to you. The second thing is, you don't have to take all the money you qualify for. So, you know, the average house in Toronto now is, you know, approaching a million dollars. You can get, uh, the our average customer would get about $300,000 if they wanted to. Um, but if, if you only want to give your child $100,000, you, you just take the hundred. You don't need to take the full $300,000. So you've got a lot of flexibility in how much you take and when you take it and what you do with it. 
um, that I don't think people really appreciate. And this helps in terms of any burden they might feel with their own retirement plans, right? Because they might be worried about, oh, I'd love to help, but boy, you know, at the same time, I'm not trying to be selfish. I want to have something left over myself. The kids are going to get it eventually, but in the meantime, I just don't want to leave the cupboard bare. Right. And, and yeah, it is a choice, right? A lot of parents are saying, look, you know, I'm going to help my child now when they need it and not 10 years or 15 years or hopefully 20 years down the road. Right. So I, I'm going to help them now. Um, the other thing is, you know, most of our customers, our average customers in their 70s, most of our customers bought their house for probably 10% of what it's worth now. They've made so much money on their real estate that, uh, and probably in almost every case, way more money than people really expected to make. Um, the fact that they take some portion of that huge increase in equity and give it to their kids and get them onto the property ladder, um, they don't tend to worry about it. And as I, I said at the beginning, because you don't have to take all the money, you just have to take as much money as you need. You've got that opportunity to manage your debt levels and manage the interest that's accruing and how much money you're going to have left over. Everything goes in cycles, even though it's not as crazy, the real estate market in the GTA as it was a couple of years ago, you're still saying it's warm. Maybe it's not scorching Mm -hmm. hot, but it's still fairly warm. The time will come where it might even level off a little bit, but you do not see demand for reversible mortgages easing in any way, do you? No, we're we're growing at about 20% per annum. This is one, you know, giving money to your kids or grandkids to help them in the housing market. That's one thing people do. Uh, People get mortgages from us because they can't afford the conventional mortgages that they have and those monthly payment burdens. Um, People get mortgages from us to... Um, retrofit their homes because they've got some health issues and they need to improve, you know, their living situation, but they don't really want to move. There's all sorts of different things. So, um, you know, this this reason is kind of fairly interesting for us and and is growing, but there's lots of other reasons people get a mortgage from us. Okay. Care to leave us with anything that maybe we haven't touched on or something you'd like to stress or restress? Really just the flexibility that you have uh, as a borrower, flexibility in how much money you, you take and how long you stay in your home, um, and also the flexibility if you want to, to pay the interest uh, on a monthly or annual basis. We've tried to develop the product over the last five years to give people complete flexibility, and that's the thing that we'd really encourage people to look into with a reverse mortgage from Home Equity Bank is the different ways they can use the money and the flexibility that we've given them. Steve Ranson, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. That was Steve Ranson, President CEO of Home Equity Bank and the Chip Reverse Mortgage. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Freedom, 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 freedom. Richie Havens performing Freedom at Woodstock 50 years ago. Unlike musical festivals now that can have the eyes and ears of the world on them, only those who were actually at Woodstock could experience it while the rest of us played catch-up courtesy of newscasts that reported on the music, masses, and mud. Helping us mark the musical milestone, Zoomer Radio's own musician and host, Robbie Lane. What's the first thing that pops into your head? Unbelievable, and I don't think any of us believed that it was going to be as big as it was, until it happened. Did you go? No, I was in Woodstock, Ontario, playing a bar. Get out, no, (laughs) seriously. I was! So you were in Woodstock. I was, yes. So you don't have to say it was Ontario. You could say, yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was in Woodstock, and I don't remember any of it. (laughs) (laughs) So in that sense, you were in Woodstock. Yeah. 
Is there a particular song or act that takes you back whenever the conversation might come up about that festival? Two. Um, Joe Cocker, because I think it was the first time we actually saw Joe Cocker perform, and all of us were kind of surprised at his antics. And the second and probably most important was the band, because they were heroes of mine when they were the Hawks before they were the band. And so, you know, everything they did that day, they they performed the last day of Woodstock. And um, people were starting to leave. So the producer uh, of the show, the stage manager, said, you guys just keep playing. So they did 11 songs, which is a lot. But uh, they, you know, th- that was mu- they did their music from the Big Pink. And how how... Can, how can you possibly have a crowd that size anywhere else to hear your new music? Did you have a feeling back then with Levon Helms and Robbie Robertson and, and company that they had the makings of something special? They were. They were really something special. And one of the, the most special nights for me was they were playing at what was then the Friars Tavern. Uh, it's now a shopper's drug mart, but... Um, I got a call from someone who worked there, and and we were playing up the street, and uh, they said, you should come in about one thirty, quarter to 2. We'll leave the back door open. You're going to see something you'll probably never see again. And we snuck in, and Bob Dylan was on stage with the Hawks rehearsing for future dates. And you were not given a heads up? No, we didn't know who it was going to be. But when you hear Bob Dylan, you know who it is. You're not going to mix him up with Tony Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> and with, with the band, as yeah. they became known, before the band was on a lot of people's radar, yeah. what was it about them that you just said, they have the it factor? Well, writing, uh, Robbie, one of the best writers in the history, I think, of rock and roll, and and the music that they had turned to do was Americana. It was very different from what they were doing with Hawkins. They were doing straight-ahead rock and roll. But everything that Robbie, almost everything that Robbie wrote for the band had something to do with the South and Americana and history. Any act there that, uh, you know, once the festival was over and you thought, oh, oh, man, they're going places. They don't. Or I'm not so sure. And then they do. Yeah, no, I can't think of anybody that I thought that about. But then again, you have to think back. This was 1969. There was no social media. There was no way for us to see who uh, was even on the show until after. You saw the news clips on on uh, television news, but you didn't see everything until much later. Did Woodstock have an effect on you and the disciples after the fact? Yeah, I, I think... Um, in, in a way that we just felt like we were part of something a lot bigger than we'd ever imagined. And Woodstock would make you feel that way. If that many people were willing to travel that far to sweat it out in the hot sun and the evening rain, I mean, it just says something about the music. And did it have an effect, Woodstock, on the Toronto sound, do you think? I mean, you being part of the Toronto sound back in the 60s, but did it have an effect on the Toronto sound? I think it made a lot of people more aware in the Toronto area, especially record companies, that there was something here and they didn't want to miss out on it. So if you think about 1969, from then on, so many acts were signed by uh, Canadian acts and Toronto acts were signed by big labels and given that opportunity, whereas they weren't before. This might not be fair. I'll put it to you anyway. What was bigger, 
Woodstock or British Invasion, or you can't compare? It's a whole different uh, ball of wax, but I think if uh, I think if I had to pick one, I would say for longevity, the British Invasion certainly has outlasted any effect that Woodstock had on the music business because it's still going on today. I had an, an email from a listener who said, you played something from 1977 or whatever on the British Invasion, and the British Invasion had ended by then. It hasn't even ended now. There are artists like Adele and several others that are British artists that are topping the charts here. It's still going on. Just not as concentrated in comparison to yeah, back then, right? Exactly, yeah. Robbie Lane, thank you. As always, Robbie remembers here on, on Zoomer Radio. Let's go out with one of the songs from Woodstock that you alluded to and one of the groups, the band. Love it. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick in for Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, Faz Kazi, and Justin Eacock. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.